Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, fifth chapter of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, if you're kind of new to the Bible. One of four biographies we have about Jesus. Today we are wrapping up our series called Flipped as we've journeyed through the Beatitudes, the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. I'll start at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go back to verse 10, and I'd invite you to say it out loud with me, starting at the word blessed. Here we go. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One more time. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we come to the eighth and final beatitude. And I want you to notice that Jesus here promises the same blessing that he did at the very first beatitude. And by, by circling around this way and coming back to where he started, Jesus is making a point. And it's an important one. And that is, he's not been talking in these Beatitudes about eight different groups of people. And you got the poor in the spirit over here, and you got uh, the meek over here, and so forth. No. He's been talking about eight qualities of the same group of people. And that group of people are those who trust him as king of their lives. In other words, this is what it looks like in these Beatitudes. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It looks like being poor in spirit. It looks like mourning for sin, for being meek, being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, being a peacemaker. 
And it's really important to understand something about all these qualities, and that is these are not achievements. These are not achievements. You don't become like this by making yourself like this by your own spiritual merit. No, you become like this by realizing you don't have any spiritual merit of your own. And that's the first beatitude. That's what being poor in spirit's all about. You don't have any spiritual merit of your own, and so instead you come to the king. And you put your hope in completely in his merit. And you live your life by relying on him and learning to rely on him more and more, and he develops by his spirit these qualities within you. So that's important to know because when you read these Beatitudes, you're going to realize you're not as merciful as you should be. You're not as meek as you should be. You're not as much of a peacemaker as you should be. And when you read that and you think that, don't look at yourself and despair. Instead, look at Jesus and realize how much you need him and how much you need to just rely on him more and more. And be encouraged. You know something? He wants you to have these qualities in your life even more than you do. And he will help you grow in these qualities as you trust him more and more. Look at Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a great hope. Okay, and then there's something else that we need to understand about these qualities. With this final beatitude, Jesus makes it very clear that when you are a member of his kingdom and when you live this kind of life, you live out these qualities, you live this life that's right side up in a world that's upside down, the world won't like it. The world won't like it. The world will think you're the one that's upside down. Not only that, they may very well think you're actually kind of dangerous. And because they think that, you might very well experience some kind of mistreatment that Jesus calls persecution. Now, personally, I would rather just kind of skip this part of being a follower of Jesus, you know. I was kind of thinking of the whole wedding vow thing. You know, when you get to that, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, that's not a choice. It's not like, yeah, I get to choose. I want better, richer, and in health. No, it's like, no, you're married no matter what. That's your commitment. It's the same with being a follower of Jesus. I, I'd prefer that, you know, persecution, that's a choice. I don't want that one. Thank you. Um, I just prefer to skip that. I don't know of anybody who wants to be persecuted. In fact, if somebody wanted to be persecuted, I'd be concerned. And yet, Jesus talks about it as if it's just one of those things that's part of being one of his followers, of being a part of his kingdom. 
And here's the amazing thing. He says that those who are persecuted for trusting him are blessed, fortunate. They're in a really happy situation. They should rejoice and be glad. What does he mean? What does he mean? Well, let's think it through with some questions. First, what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? What does that mean? You notice Jesus does not say that uh, those who are persecuted for any reason whatsoever are blessed. He doesn't say that. (laughs) There are all kinds of ways we can get ourselves into trouble and we can uh, experience hard times and suffer, and those ways have nothing whatever to do with following Jesus. You look at 1 Peter 4.15. It says, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler, busybody. I've heard of, I'm sure you've heard of, there have been well-known, prominent proclaimers of being followers of Jesus who have been fined, even in prison for doing things like not paying their taxes or breaking some other kind of law. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. I mean, the Bible's very clear that Christians are supposed to be good citizens. We're supposed to obey laws that do not violate the clear teaching of God's Word. And most of them don't. So, you know, if you get a ticket for going 85 in a 30. <laughs> that's not persecution. Even if you have an I love Jesus bumper sticker on your car. It's not persecution. You know? Jesus says persecuted for the sake of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, he elaborates. He explains in verse 11. Look at it. Blessed are you when others revile you, call you nasty names, and uh, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, or because of me. In other words, it means being mistreated simply because you're a follower of Jesus. You trust in him. You're identified with him, and you're trying to live the way he wants you to live. So somebody sees your I Love Jesus bumper sticker, and then they decide to scratch the paint of your car, or slash your tires, or do something worse, or, much more seriously, forget the bumper sticker. They see the difference that Christ is actually making in your life. They see you being serious to act the way he wants you to act, and they don't like it at all. They don't like it. And they treat you accordingly. Why would anybody do that? I mean, why would anybody have a problem with Jesus? Why why would anybody have a problem with somebody loving Jesus and wanting to live the way he wants us to live? Because... The world doesn't like being told it's upside down. It doesn't like that. People don't like to hear that their values and their priorities are all messed up. People don't want to hear 
that all of the misery and ugliness that is in this world is ultimately due to our sin, our rebellion as a race against God, deciding we know better than God, get out of here, we don't want anything to do with you, just leave us alone. You see, Jesus, if Jesus is right, if Jesus is right, that means that means a whole lot of people are wrong about some really important stuff. I mean, when you read the things Jesus actually said, okay, and I'm not talking about the mythical Jesus that sometimes gets talked about, who's really cool and tolerant and, you know, everything's just fine with him. I'm talking about when you read what the real Jesus really said, you find out he's actually pretty intolerant about some stuff. You find out he he thinks that sex, outside of marriage in any way, is bad. And lust is bad. And divorce is bad. And lying is bad. And not paying your debts is bad. And lots of things. Hating people, being proud. And you say, wait, 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 wait. Jesus forgives all of those things, right? I mean, he does. That, that, isn't that the good news? The gospel, the good news is that Jesus died for us. And that he's so gracious, he's so merciful that when we come to him and we ask him to forgive us of any of that stuff, He forgives us. Doesn't he? Oh, yes. Yes, he absolutely does. That is the greatest news. But here's the problem. In order to receive his forgiveness, you have to admit that you need it. You have to admit that you really are guilty. You have to admit that you really are that your sins really are so bad that Jesus had to die on a cross so that you could be right with God. And apart from that, you're doomed to eternal judgment. Friends, that is not a tolerant message. And apart from God's grace softening up our hearts, we don't want to be told that we deserve hell. Nobody wants to hear that. And frankly, we don't want to give up our favorite sins. We kind of like being God of our lives. So you put your trust in Jesus for real. You are aligning yourself with a message that is very confrontational. That there really is a God to whom we are all accountable and that we really have all rejected him and we deserve his condemnation and Jesus really is the one, the only one who can save us and we need to trust him with our lives and we need to show that we trust him by doing whatever he tells us. Those who live out that message are going to encounter opposition at times. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
That might be fairly mild. I have to say in my life, I don't even know if I could justify any or, you know, uh, dignify anything with the title persecution. But, you know, I've been laughed at. I've been made fun of. I've been excluded. So, you know, persecution can be pretty mild. Or it could be a whole lot worse. And basing, based on the direction our nation seems to be going, it could get much worse. If Bible teaching, if teaching the Bible comes to be widely regarded as hate speech, then things could get very ugly for those who want to be faithful to Jesus. So how should we respond to that, you know? Should we get angry? Should we get angry? I read just the other day of a Christian man in Nigeria who was threatened by a very extremist group of of, uh, militant Muslims and... They trapped him inside his own house, and they set fire to the house, and he died, and he left a wife and a teenage son. I have to tell you, when I first read that, my initial reaction was to get angry. Is that how we should respond to persecution? Should we get angry, or should we get all depressed? Should we feel sorry for ourselves? No. No. Jesus says... We should consider ourselves blessed. Blessed. Why? All right, second question. Why are those persecuted for righteousness' sake blessed? Because because their persecution reveals something about them that's true. And what it reveals about them that's true is it means they're really in the kingdom. They're really in the kingdom, and their future is awesome. Awesome. Don't feel sorry for yourself, Jesus says. If you're persecuted because of him, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't be gloomy. Don't be angry. Don't be bitter. Jesus says instead, rejoice and be glad. Because great, your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Don't be depressed. The right response is gladness. What do you think of when you think of gladness? You guys don't look real glad right now. (laughs) Gladness, joy, celebration. You say, that sounds weird. That just sounds weird. Well, it would be, it would be if we were talking about being happy because of the persecution itself. Like, gee, that's a real kick in the pants. I love, I love to have people make fun of me. I love being excluded, ridiculed, threatened. Other Christians in the world attacked, losing our homes, our freedoms, maybe even our lives. That sounds like a weird thing to get excited about. Okay, we're not talking about taking joy in evil things. But if, if we're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, in other words, not for being foolish, not for being stupid, not for being disrespectful to other people or obnoxious, 
but simply for living the way Jesus wants us to live, being identified with him. If we're persecuted for that, then we can be sure, we can be certain that we belong to him. We belong to him, and all that he promises is true for us. And that means that no matter how hard it is, and please listen carefully, I'm not trying to in any way to diminish the evil or the severity of anybody's persecution. But no matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it is, compared to the happiness that's coming, it's tiny. It's tiny. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Last week I got a flu shot. And, you know, a day or two after the shot, I hear my shoulder was pretty sore. felt like somebody just, you know, really whacked me on the arm. And I was tempted to kind of start to whine about it a little bit. <laughs> my arm hurts. And then I remembered what it's like to really have the flu. And I said, never mind, never mind, I'm good. This is nothing. This is nothing. And compared to the flu, it is nothing. That's what this is talking about. Compared to the glory that will be revealed, compared to the joy, the happiness that's coming, any negative experience we have in this life is nothing compared by comparison. It'd be like trying to compare a drop of water to the Pacific Ocean. It'd be like comparing a little grain of sand to Mount Everest. It'd be like comparing one penny to the national debt. (laughs) Now, think about this. Okay, let's say I could actually pull this off. Okay, I can't. This is just an illustration, okay? But let's just say I could tell you, you give me one penny this morning, and tonight, or let's just say next week, I will give you $1 trillion. Would you snivel? Would you feel ripped off, would you feel sad that you had to go without that penny for a whole week when a trillion dollars is coming? Would you be willing to put up with a penny's worth of persecution to experience a trillion dollars worth of outrageous joy? Jesus promised more, more than that. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this slight momentary affliction. And you should go read sometime what Paul calls slight momentary affliction. He's beaten, he's chased from town to town, he's called all kinds of terrible names, he's whipped, he's uh, had rocks thrown at him until they thought he was dead, he was shipwrecked. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal Weight of glory. There's a story in the book of Acts about the apostles of Jesus that illustrates this attitude that Jesus wants us to have toward persecution. Um, These guys were running around telling everybody in Jerusalem 
that they're telling the good news about Jesus, that Jesus had died on a cross for our sins and how he had risen from the dead, he's alive, and how he forgives anyone of all their sin if they'll put their trust in him. And the authorities were, were really not happy about this because they had had Jesus put to death as a really bad guy, as a criminal, and here are these guys running around telling everybody, no, he's not a bad guy, he's Lord, he's Savior, and he's alive. So the authorities arrested the apostles, and they said, you stop talking about Jesus. And they said, sorry, we can't. Uh, this is what God wants us to do. They kept doing it, so they had him arrested again. And they told him again, stop it. And the guy said, sorry, we don't have any choice. We have to do what Jesus wants us to do. Well, this really made them mad. In fact, they were considering putting them to death as well until one of the wiser members said, that, no, we shouldn't do that. That's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left, the apostles left the presence of the council, look at it, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Is that how we would respond to persecution? For being mistreated, insulted, threatened, or worse, for the name of Jesus? It's really hard to know, isn't it? It's hard to know if we've not really been persecuted. And if we never have, maybe we need to ask ourselves, why not? Is it because our culture is still pretty tolerant of Christians because of our nation's Christian heritage? Or, or it could be, maybe. Maybe we just haven't been very open about being identified with Jesus. Maybe we haven't been that serious about living righteously. The fact is, if we choose to belong to Jesus, if we choose to live the way he wants us to live, we're going to experience opposition of some kind sooner or later. And we need to know it will be totally worth it. Totally worth it. Because Jesus will make it worth it. Beyond our wildest dreams. Do you know the story of Charlie and Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? Charlie was a very poor boy, lived in, in miserable poverty, I think the high point of his life every year was on his birthday, his family would scrape together enough to buy him a, a Willy Wonka chocolate bar. And the, the Wonka chocolate factory was just this, this uh, amazing place that, that nobody had been in for years and years, but people talked about what a wondrous place it was and how, how incredible and, and beautiful and everything. And, and Charlie's heart's desire was to go in there. Well, then the, the Wonka factory did a promotion, and they put five golden tickets in random and chocolate bars all over the world. And whoever got one of those golden tickets got to go in to the factory, the amazing chocolate factory. And Charlie found one of the golden tickets. It's a whole big story how that happened, but he gets one. And that golden ticket really for him, changed his life. 
I mean, he could, he could handle the poverty. He could handle the misery because he had this golden ticket. And he was going to have just this amazing, amazing future. There's a sense in which persecution for the sake of righteousness is like a golden ticket. It tells us we're in. We're in. And we have a future that is so amazing that it's going to make everything we suffer look trivial by comparison. 1 Peter 4.14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isn't that amazing? Can we pray together? Bow with me. Father, persecution for me is not a pleasant prospect. I don't want to be mistreated, and I imagine that nobody here does. But Lord, if that's what it takes to be identified with you, with your message, then, Lord, give us, give us the grace we need to accept it, and not only to accept it, but to rejoice and be glad and know that great is our reward. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus' name.